This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Moranalytics podcast is brought to you by Paul Cellular. Paul Cellular was created to give a better option for everyone looking for premium wireless phone service for less cost with straightforward plans, no strings attached, no confusing fine print. Paul strives to be the best value in wireless while supporting their customers with the service that they deserve and that they expect. Their mission's quite simple, to provide the best user experience possible for everyday life. They got you covered nationwide in the U.S. with unlimited talk, text, and premium, fast LTE data plans, Hotspot coverage with no additional cost in all 50 states and the U.S. Caribbean regions with additional coverage available in both Canada and Mexico. Plans also include unlimited free Wi-Fi calls internationally when calling U.S. lines and unlimited text and data across 210 countries. There are no credit checks. There are no contracts. There are no overage costs. You could just live life and focus on you. Life is better with Pulse. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moran Analytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, podcast fans, what's going on? How you doing? What's up? Welcome to episode number 119 of the Moranalytics podcast, presented by Paul Cellular, also presented by MattCunlowVoiceOver.com. Today is Tuesday, May 14th. Thank you, as always, for listening, for downloading. If you have not yet subscribed, please go ahead and do so. Coming up on today's episode, a pretty packed episode, by the way, I have WGR 550 producer slash weeknight on-air talent slash host of a brand new podcast. And when I say brand new, I mean like literally brand new as in it's expected to debut actually today on Tuesday. I'm talking about Joe DiBiase. Going to have a nice chat with him, talk about his life. Growing up in Western New York, Orchard Park, in fact, and his relatively young career, I don't want to say it's brand new, he's been at GR for a couple of years, but he's really started to make a name for himself of late, so I was really intrigued to have him on the show. We talk about the path that he took, the steps that he took to get to where he's at right now today, and then of course we talk about his new podcast, which is called The Sneaky Joe Show, and I get the premise of what it's all about. Find out if he's doing it by himself or with other people, what his production schedule is going to be, what about his show is going to be unique and different, kind of stand out from all the other podcasts out there. 
plenty of stuff to talk about with Joe. It's a good interview, good chat with somebody who I think is one of those risers in the Buffalo sports community. I think he's got a really good future there. So looking forward to bringing you that sandwich in between. I got my man, recurring guest, Aaron Quinn from Cover One on. First half of our segment, going to kind of do like a rundown just because there's so many sports topics and we do that from time to time. Just kind of rundown style. I like to call it an interest meter. Going to hit on a lot of things, including Buffalo Bills rookie minicamp that just wrapped. Uh, the Bills signed Lee Smith, the tight end on Monday. I'm going to get his take on that. We talk about the NBA, which is such an exciting time of year. You got the conference finals getting ready to start. NBA draft lottery tonight. Hopefully, Zion Williams Williamson goes to the Knicks, by the way. I'm really pulling for that. But anyway, got that. NHL conference finals already underway. Sure as hell looks like the Boston Bruins are going to the Stanley Cup. They're up 2-0 on Carolina. Of course, because God forbid, freaking Boston goes, you know, a year or so without playing for some title. Anyway, we hit on that. PJ Championship this week. Tons of stuff, man. And then, second half of our segment. And here's a spoiler alert, because I ain't LaShawn McCoy, man. I'm going to tell you straight up, there's going to be spoilers. We have Game of Thrones talk. That's what the second half is all about. So if you, for some reason, if you're living under a rock, listening to this podcast at the earliest on Tuesday morning, and you have not yet watched the latest episode of Game of Thrones, and you still intend on doing it and don't want to be spoiled, well, after Joe DiBiase's interview, turn the podcast off. Because I'm telling you right now, there's going to be tons of spoilers. Such an epic episode, in my opinion anyway. Second to last ever of Game of Thrones. I know it's been a very controversial season and so much has been said about it, good and bad. I know there's a lot of fans who don't like the writing this season and the direction it's going in. I've heard things like it's been boring, dragged out, stuff like that. I don't see how in the world you could possibly say that after this latest episode. Again, I don't want to I don't want to spoil it at the top. We'll save it for later. I will say one thing, though. My wife, who is like the biggest Game of Thrones fan ever, literally off the couch screaming at the TV during what went down on Sunday night. Again, I'll, I'll save that for my segment with Aaron. Lots to get into. Don't want to mess around here anymore at the top. Let's get right down the business. Here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to have Aaron Quinn on first. We'll run through a bunch of sports topics. Then I'm going to cut away to my interview with Joe DiBiase from WGR 550. And then at the end, I'll come back with Aaron and we'll talk Game of Thrones. Today, Junior! <laughs> All right, Aaron Quinn from Cover One. Bro, it's been a little bit, man. How you doing? What's up? I'm recovering from all of our uh, draft work that we did. I'm just trying to rest and enjoy it a little bit. How about you, man? I heard you were up up here, up this way. Yeah, I was. I spent a good, I think it was like five and a half days. And, you know, I, I've heard lots of stories. I had Tone Pucks on. Um, late last week and we had a little bit of a discussion about it i, I must have got real lucky because when i came up there the weather over the weekend was just freaking phenomenal it was beautiful out it was like i don't even know what the temperature was i don't care all i know is it wasn't humid it was nice out not raining and not humid at all it rained the morning that i left but besides that i had a beautiful weekend man everybody was out doing stuff cutting the lawn walking the streets on the water buffalo is a beautiful place when the weather is good but i guess apparently i must have got lucky because it still seems kind of shitty up there right now. It's pretty bad, man. I, I think I know the day you're talking about because every lawnmower in my neighborhood was running that day, including mine. 
Uh, but our, even mowing the lawn, man, it was soaking wet. Uh, it, it's just been a really rainy, nasty, cold, dreary spring. I'm a stay-at-home dad. I got a, a three-year-old and an infant, and I'm dying to get him outside and burn some energy. And it's just mud and cold weather uh, constantly. So, yeah, th- there has been a day or two sprinkled in that are nice. I'm glad you got some of it while you were here because this town and, and this area is so fantastic when the weather's nice. Just, everybody's out. Everybody's happy. Everybody's feeling good. Uh, but when it's down, it's down, man. Yeah. Well, like I said, I got lucky and I really got to enjoy it. You know, before and we got a lot of topics that I want to hit on today. However, me and you invested a lot of time on this very podcast before the draft, and I have not had you on since the draft. So just briefly, I want to take a couple of minutes here before we get going. Again, we did four mock drafts, me and you. We spent countless segments talking about different prospects and draft scenarios. Well, now the draft is coming on and I want to get your perspective on the draft before we move on. Now that it's all said and done, what do you think right now? How do you think the Buffalo Bills did for themselves? What picks did you like or maybe a pick or two that you didn't like? Yeah, no, I think uh, on draft weekend, I really loved the way the first two picks shook out. I mean, we talked about a lot about Ed Oliver, and so I, I was really excited that that fell the way it did for us. Really love that pick. Cody Ford was somebody that I wasn't really thinking of in the second round just because I, I'd heard he was a first round guy. So to right. get him in the second, pretty fantastic uh, way to top off that. And then I didn't really love, I'll be honest, that I did at the time, I didn't really love the Dawson Knox and Devin Singletary picks just because. I really, in my mind, had thought running back was off the table after the TJ Elding sign-in. I know that teams say, oh, we're taking best player available no matter how it shakes out, but rarely do they actually do that, right? That's kind of GM speak or coach speak. So for them to go take a running back, I mean, they really had to see something and see the need. I've come around on it a little bit since uh, draft night, and same with Dawson Knox, again, it's hard for me as a, a person that watches all these guys closely because the production's not there. When you go to look up who this guy is, that all that stuff's not there. And I'm not like Eric over at CoverOne.net. I'm not never going to claim to be a real scout. So what I see is, you know, I think I have somewhat of a trained eye, but I still need to have something to look at in order to see it. And Dawson Knox just was never there for me, and I never saw any of it. So. I'm coming around a little bit on him, but he's a guy I do want. I I think I'm seeing on Twitter fans getting very excited about maybe what he can be. And I want to kind of remind fans, maybe pump the brakes on a rookie tight end uh, and that maybe he'll eventually be really good, but I don't expect much in 2019. And then, then as you go down from there, I think the expectations of what the impact in 2019 are lower and lower, but a guy that Eric uh, over at cover1.net, and I think he's dropping a piece soon, is getting me very excited about his Voshan Joseph. And I don't know if you know much about this guy. I didn't prior to the draft. He's a guy that just wasn't on my radar. And ever since the draft, watching all of his stuff that I can find, I understand why the Bills went after him. And he's he's their kind of linebacker. He flies around the field. He's got some flaws, but man, I think this kid's ready to come in. And I'm not saying he's going to be a Matt Milano instant impact guy, but I, I think you start to see him a good percentage of snaps, a lot of special teams. I think he's a guy that can make an impact in 2019. You know, I'll tell you what, maybe it's because we spent so much time together talking about this draft that we started to maybe formulate at least some of the same thoughts, but I feel almost exactly the way you do. It's kind of the same boat with me, by the way. Since the draft, I had on Ryan Talbot after day one, and I had Chris Trapasso going through the draft, but I never really gave my own draft thoughts, and they kind of fall in line with what you said. I, I mean, we did our final mock draft. We picked that Oliver, but 
That was just because of the way the board fell to us. And I made it a point to say, there's no way in hell that's going to happen. And I'd be stunned. So I was stunned. And then yeah. in, in the second round with Cody Ford, we never really talked about him much. Not because we didn't like him, or at least I know I, I liked him. It's just, I did not think that he was going to be there at 40. Well, 38, he moved up two spots. And I also am along the, the same mindset as you with the, with the third round picks. And even after sleeping on and having some time to digest, I'm still not a big fan. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I mean, who knows how it plays out down the road. Maybe, maybe the kid Singletary, maybe becomes a stud running back. You know what I mean? For this year. Anyway, it doesn't seem like a pick that's going to help them much. And giving up two fours to move up for Dawson Knox, all this potential. And I keep hearing about it and that's fantastic. But I, I, I put some value on college production and he really didn't have any, Yeah, you know? So I'm not a big fan. I guess that's kind of one of those prove it deals to me with those two kids. And uh, last but not least, the linebacker. You know, we did talk not about him specifically, Vashon, but we did talk about the position. And I remember saying a couple times that I thought if they could find a good linebacker, that they don't really have good depth behind the starters. So I kind of like that pick. All in all, I, I like the draft. I'm just not crazy about either third round pick, if I'm being completely honest here. Yeah, no, and I don't blame you. And then I think we have to talk about the undrafted because obviously as fans, those are the ones that I think, you know, from being on Twitter for all these years, those are the ones we fall in love with at camp. Sure. People stand out for them, the Jeff Tools of the world, you know what I mean? Uh, but there's always a fun story. And last year, the this front office did a good job plucking two guys that had instant production in 2019 and Robert Foster and Levi Wallace. So it's not two starters. Yeah, two starters. Uh, yeah, guys. I mean, Wallace is absolutely competing for a cornerback too this year. And and I still think Robert Foster right now is I don't think they have a real wide receiver one, but I think he would be that uh, as far as his skill set versus the other guys are. Um, so I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that an undrafted free agent or two is going to stick to this roster. And I think they got some good ones, obviously uh, one that's a hot topic in, in the Buffalo area, Tyree Jackson, uh, D- Derek Anderson is retired since we last talked. So that adds some, you know, legs to him, maybe getting on the roster. And then David Sills is a guy they paid a lot of money in regards to how much money you can give to undrafted free agents. They gave him a big chunk of what you can give to an undrafted free agent to get him on this roster. That tells me, one, other teams really wanted to get him and they outbid other teams to get him. And two, that they really value him as an undrafted free agent and wanted to get him in here to compete with Duke Williams for that final uh, roster spot for the wide receivers. And that could be a huge impact for them. When you have an undrafted free agent, the greatest thing about it is you get so much contract control. It's a cheap contract. And then I don't know if you remember uh, this year with Eddie Yarbrough, you get exclusive rights for agency. Yeah. So every year, the last few years, Eddie Yarbrough comes up Sometime in the late winter, they say, oh, they've agreed to keep Eddie Yarbrough's rights as a free agent. That means if they the Bills decide they don't want him anymore, he can't play in the league. He can only play with your team. And you have, I think it's five years of that. So if you get a guy that produces like Levi Wallace or Robert Foster, you have a lot of control for a few years of what you want to do with them. And you keep them in that salary base. Well, we're talking about Bills rookies right now. So that's a perfect segue into our Moranalytics interest meter and we're going to do we haven't done this in a while again mainly because we've been doing so many mock drafts during our segments but to refresh people's memories i'm just going to run off a series of topics to you buffalo bills and otherwise different sports as well and you're just going to give me a score somewhere between zero and ten what your interest level is on it and maybe you got to take as well so let's start there and let's start with the bills rookies okay bills just had rookie minicamp what's your level interest right there on that 
Yeah, I mean, the homer in me is high, but I'll say that's about a six and a half. It's it's nice because content comes out. We get to hear from coach. We get to hear from a couple guys. You get to see some clips of the media, but it is nothing. It's no more than the combine guys in charge. It's really just guys there to stretch, put on a helmet and get used to the facility. It does mean it's a step closer to football. So that's the only reason I put it above a five is that it's this part of the stepping stone to get to football. And so that's exciting. Yeah, I have zero. <laughs> I have zero nothing? interest in it. I will say this though. Let me say that. Not even the content? Nah, not even zero. I don't care about the content. I've heard from I've heard from them already after the draft. I'm good for a while. But I will <laughs> let me say this though. It, it I will have a much higher interest than normal when it comes to Bill's team activities, if for no other reason and just this alone, to see how they lay out the offensive line combinations. Even if it's just in shorts and t shirts during mini camp or whatever, you know, when all the players are there. I'll have them like normally if my interest was like a two, it'll probably be a six just for that reason alone. I want to see how they start to lay out this offensive line, even in just shorts, man. That's got my interest for sure. I don't know if you saw over. I, I made a graphic for Eric at cover one.net for the Twitter and Facebook accounts where I, I laid out, I think it was four options. Yeah, I saw that. Here. And I'll tell you, man, we've never gotten more yeah. uh comments and things on a, on, on a post than that. It's going to be a hot topic all summer long. And, the interesting thing when I was laying out that graphic was I probably could have made six or seven other combinations uh, just because of the amount of versatility and guys they have to give fans. But we wanted to keep it to just a few options. And it, that's a really fun thing to have to talk about, because ever since I can remember, it's been quarterback at training camp. Yeah. Who's going to be the quarterback? What's the quarterback? That's all we talk about all summer this year. That's not going to be the conversation. And that's a, a nice change of pace for Bill's fans. Absolutely. I'll tell you what offensive line is probably going to be. As we do these segments throughout the summer, probably the number one thing that we talk about more than anything else. And I'm sure we'll spend plenty of time talking about that. Let's move on. All right. The Bills sign Lee Smith to a three-year deal, and they now have like 10,000 tight ends on this roster. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about offensive linemen too, right? I mean, he's not going to be a guy that's going to come in and catch passes. That's just not his game. But as far as what he does, he's probably... Definitely top 10, maybe top five guy in the world at being a blocking tight end. So I think it's a cool pickup for the team as far as I think it shows what they're really trying to do this year, which is I know a lot of fans don't want to hear it, but they're going to try to reestablish the run game this year. We saw how bad that was last year, and a lot of that came from bad blocking on the line and with tight ends. So I think that they made that a priority. Uh, and I do think that that'll help Josh Allen in your play action pass game and all that other stuff. So I think that they're really just taking the money and freed up assets that they have and trying to attack the best they can. And Lee Smith came available. He's not a big name. He's not a guy that's going to really move the needle for them at all, but he's another veteran presence. And I think it puts a guy like Jason Kroom on notice. Obviously I thought it put Jake Fisher on notice. He's already been cut. So obviously that was true. And I think that's going to be a really interesting battle. Uh, and it was some of the fun battles this year are also going to be what numbers do they take? Do they take three tight ends? Do they take four tight ends? How are those going to shake out? If they take four tight ends, that may affect the wide receiver room. That may affect what they can do with defensive back. So the depth on this team is getting very interesting. And, and that is what's going to have me really excited this summer. Yeah, that continuous word. I talked about it last week with Tone Pox. It's just competition. I think it's legit. This year, I would give it probably a five. I think that, you know, like offensive line, they could go so many ways right now. I think the tight ends, even though they have a lot of numbers right now, I think it's a little more defined. It gave Tyler Croft got like over eight million guaranteed. That dude's safe and he's probably the number one. Lee Smith got guaranteed money and it's going to go into year two. So he's safe on this roster. That wasn't just a 
Let's see if he can make the team out of training camp. Lee Smith's deal, to me, when I look at it, it shows me that he's going to be on this roster. And oh, then they, yeah. they traded two fourth-rounders to move up for Dawson Knox. So you got to think that he's the third tight end. So like you said, it comes down to if they keep a fourth tight end. And even if they do, don't Jason Cruz still not a lock. I mean, they did invest a seventh-rounder, which is not high, but Todd Sweeney, maybe they like him and... He could beat out conceivably. Jason Kroom, bottom line is this, and this is why I have it a five. I think Jason Kroom's roster spot is in big trouble. Yeah, I actually, I sorry, I forgot to rate it. I'm going to go with the addition of Lee Smith as a, a four and a half, and really for the same reasons. Uh, but yeah, no, I think the most interest, I agree, is uh, Kroom, and then Sweeney's going to be a tough one because all the guys that I talked to, I, this was another guy I didn't know about in the draft. A lot of the guys I talk to that do scouting all the players really like Sweeney. And they, they're telling me that he may be really hard to tuck in on a practice squad. So that's going to be another decision that they're going to have to make. Similar to Singletary. Uh, are they going to carry four running backs and just not activate Singletary? I think that same conversation is going to be had at tight end uh, or not activate Singletary. Um, same conversation at tight end. Do you activate Sweeney and keep four tight ends? They're going to have some really tough choices to make at the end depth of positions. Yeah. Todd McShay is one of those guys, by the way, just absolutely raves about Sweeney. Anyway, let's move on here. EJ Manuel, former Buffalo Bills first round draft pick reportedly has retired. Uh, that is going to be a seven and a half for me. I was an EJ Stan. I'm not even going to lie about really? it. I, I bought everything they told me. I think I just had so much hope um, that eventually we would get this right. And he looked the part on paper and just never looked the part in real life. I'm going to continue to blame uh, the training camp, Matt, for EJ's failure of a career. I think that uh, Buffalo, in, as, in general, we were talking about this in the cover one slack. I think the whole thing was mismanaged from the time he got there. Kevin Cobb's injury thrust him into the spotlight. I think Marone and Hackett were, were not qualified to do the jobs that they had. It just really hurt his development. And then he just can never get any legs under his career after that. Yeah, I'll give it about a five and a half. It's just an example of a bad pick. You know, it, it's an example of what happens when a front office just gets it completely wrong. I'm not saying it's all EJ Manuel's fault. You laid out a lot of the reasons why he was kind of like almost destined to fail in Buffalo, but I, it's just what happens when you get a pick wrong, man, or when you reach for a position because you need it real bad. In hindsight, this guy was probably a mid-round NFL talent. Maybe in college he looked apart, but NFL-wise, he was probably a mid-round talent. And it's not just the Buffalo Bills, because if they didn't take him 16th overall, somebody was going to get him. Somebody was grabbing somebody him. Somebody was grabbing him, if not in the first round, early in the second for sure. So a lot yeah. of teams got it wrong. But these are the kind of picks, and he's the perfect example of what happens when you got a lot on the line and you just, for whatever reason, you just get it wrong. You know what I mean? I, I'll tell you, though, man, I maybe you weren't this way, but after that Carolina game and you let him down on that drive, and I know a lot of things went their way to you know pass interference and stuff to get to the point where they could score a touchdown. But after that drive, man, I thought – this might be it. We might have gotten our guy and it went all downhill from there, obviously. But at some point we won't discuss it now, but at some point I have a, a trickle down conspiracy theory that it really all started with the firing of Chan Gailey and everything just went wrong after Chan Gailey got fired up until the recent regime. So that, that could be a whole topic for another show I could get into with you. All right, man, I'm going to put that shit in my memory bank for sure. All right, man. All right moving on beyond the bills, hard knocks. HBO show. It's down to four teams now, and all four of these teams don't have a choice. HBO or the NFL, the league can assign them and they won't have a choice. We're down to the Raiders, the Giants, Alliance, and Washington. Give me a give me a score on your interest level there, and then maybe give me a prediction. Uh four point six. 
Um, only because I don't care what team it is, I'm always going to watch Hard Knocks. I love the Hard Knocks series. Right. They can't give me enough of that content. Uh, my prediction is it's got to be the Raiders, yeah. right? Absolutely. It's got to be. I don't know how it can't be. You got Antonio it's, Brown, you got Gruden, you got all the shit going on. Mike Mayock. I mean, that's just. Uh, Burfitt, uh, you got, yeah, yeah. uh, Richie Incognito possibly. I know oh, they had boy, him in for a workout. Him. I mean, yeah. it sounds like made for TV drama. <laughs> yeah, it definitely does. All right. Moving on past football now. Okay. Let's go to the NBA. We got Kyrie Leonard, Giannis, Eastern Conference Finals, man. I'm, I'm all the way there for that. What do you got? Well, so I know you were watching uh, Game of Thrones last night. And I was too, but did you, you catch that shot? I did. By Kawhi? Oh, oh yeah. my God. I mean, I really think I think I'm really excited about this. So I'll go with a eight, eight and a half. I'll say eight and a half about this finals. I haven't watched a lot of basketball this year, uh, but this has me super excited. The East is wide open. These are two, I think, two of the best players in the world sure. are going to go head to head. And uh, Kawhi, I've been saying, is one of the best players in the world for years now. Had that injury, had all the drama in San Antonio, but it didn't change him being one of the best players in the world. And I think people are finally starting to see he really is one of the best two-way players in the world. I mean, he carried Toronto past a really good 76ers team. So, And Giannis just dismantled the Celtics. I mean, they had no answer for this kid at all. I think we've talked about it on this show. I think he's probably the single greatest athlete in sports right now. Yeah, I mean, shit, man. It's a, I would give this a nine. I'm really excited about it. People forget how Leonard won a title and carried the Spurs to a title before. Giannis, yeah. I mean, at worst case, these are two of the best five players in the NBA. And you can make a very believable, strong case that Giannis might be the actual best player in the NBA today. Not his body of work. But in skill wise, the best player in the NBA today, you tell me that, I mean, you're not going to get much of a fight out of me. So yeah, I'm, I'm all in for that shit. What about on the other side? You got Golden State against Portland in the West. Oh, that's like a three and a half for me. I mean, I like the idea of Portland being there. I think that's super cool. I don't think they stand a chance, maybe five games. Maybe they steal one game uh, against the banged up Warriors. But I'm so sick of the Warriors, man. Yeah, I don't think there's anything we could do about it. I agree with you. I don't. I would say Golden State in five with or without Durant. I don't think Portland's got a real chance. Tell you what, though, man, it's going to be fun to watch because especially the guard play, Portland doesn't have a chance to beat them in a series. But CJ McCollum, Damian Lillard, that's going to be a it's fun. That's going to be a lot of fun to watch them. All right, let's go local here. Okay, former Canisius coach John Beeline, Western New York native, leaves Michigan, signs a five year deal to become the new Cleveland Cavaliers coach. Uh, That one for me is a six. Uh, I'm a fan of Michigan basketball, uh, them and UConn are who I always root for. So I love what he's done with that program. I mean, they have not been relevant until from when I was a kid in the nineties and the fab five up until he arrived and turned that program back around. So losing him stinks in that regard, but I don't think you saw it on Twitter and not enough guys give the chance to these guys, like people just expect these good college coaches to just stay in college forever. Cause the contracts are nice. The job becomes cushy. I think it's great of him to accept this challenge. Cleveland's not a very good team, but they have a lot of cap space. They have probably a really good draft pick here coming up. I think that's a, a nice challenge for him to accept. He's going to get paid well. And this is his only real chance to jump into the NBA. You only have a small window to do this. So good on him for accepting this challenge. And I'm excited to see how it goes. I, th- I think 
teams that have lost LeBron have struggled to find themselves again. And hopefully this is Cleveland's way of building a nice, solid foundation. I wish them all the luck in the world. I'll tell you what, I would only give it a four for right now because I'm not big on coaches. It's about the players to me in the NBA sure. and their roster. Cleveland stinks. All right. I mean, Kevin loves can't stay healthy. J.R. Smith, you know, enough said Tristan Thompson, blah, blah, blah. However, if we were to do this segment next week, this could be an eight because yeah. if the Cleveland Cavaliers and they have as good of a chance as anyone. They win that lottery, and Zion Williamson is a Cleveland Cavalier next time we're taping this next week, or will be in the future, I should say. That changes the game. So right now, it's like, yeah. I heard, in fact, I heard on ESPN today, uh, Stephen A. Smith was basically saying the same thing, like, who cares because they don't have a roster. He didn't even mention the draft lottery. That shit changes everything. If Cleveland gets one of those first two picks, because, again, they have as good a chance as anyone, that, that changes their fortunes really quick. It does. And they're going to start freeing up from this LeBron cap heck that he got them in of trying to compete now that all those big contracts are going to go by wayside and they're going to even if they get a good player, they're probably going to have another good pick the next year. And you really start to be able to build something good. And the East is going to be wide open here in a couple of years. Yeah, no doubt about it. Now, I just mentioned the NBA draft lottery. That's the next topic. This has got to be high for both of us because let's just save the discussion here. I would say it's like at least an eight or a nine, only because you're a Chicago Bulls guy. I'm a New York Knicks guy. Both of them have an excellent chance to to win the lottery. And like I said, it's all about Zion Williamson. Although I'll tell you what, John Morant, I would be very happy if if the Knicks ended up getting, if they didn't get the first pick, at least get the second one so they could get him. But I'm sure it's diddle with you too. Like you said, you're a big Bulls guy and those are two really, really, really good players. Yeah, I'm I'm in a, a nine right now. I've been doing the draft simulators. I don't think the Bulls have a real good shot at the number one pick. I would love it. Although I kind of like uh, job more better for the Bulls fit. I like Zion and I totally take him. But the Bulls would have to probably move on from some other guys if they take Zion, where if they, they got jaw, they could really just plug him into what they're building now. And I think that it would make them a really competitive team. So it's going to be interesting, man. It changes the whole dynamics of the NBA where Zion goes because the Knicks are rumored to be getting Kyrie, Durant, maybe Kemba. And I mean, you put Zion with Kemba and Durant. Holy cow. Right. Do you have a team overnight. Yeah. No doubt you know, about that, it. that changes the power balance of the East. Yep. One more NBA topic here. John Vogel, the Lakers, Jason Kidd, assistant coach, and the LA Lakers just continue to be a complete and utter mess right now. Uh, this will be uh, uh, eight and a half for me. I, I'm very much a hater, especially of LeBron James and the decisions that he's made with how he's handled his career and where he goes. And I kind of think he's, you know, finally getting a little karma in this instance uh, where not a lot of people want to coach him. Uh, Jason Kidd's probably going to be a mess. Vogel's been a mess for a few years. And they're talking about there's Stephen A. Smith was saying that people are telling Jeannie Buss to trade LeBron like this drama in L.A. Yeah. In that market. Holy cow. I that can't ain't happening. But yeah, that, no, uh, no. But it's fun to talk about it and just sure. look at all this drama unfolding around them. I like LeBron, man. We disagree there. I, I would say it's about an eight and eight and a half. I just if nothing else, I don't want to see his career end like this. He, he has been one of and like him or not, he's one of the best NBA players in history. He's done a lot for the game. He's elevated the game. And for him to be remembered at the end of his career, going to L.A. and going on some shitty teams and maybe running a coach out of town. I will tell you this, though. There's no question about it. I think players are hesitant at this stage of his career, especially to go play with him. This will be this will be a very telling summer because they have the money. They could sign somebody to a max deal. And if there's a lot of free agents out there, if they can't get anybody, then that tells you all you need to know. It's 
I'm, I'm sure the Lakers organization as a whole might, you know, they have a, a dark cloud over them right now, but it's still the freaking LA Lakers. You know what I mean? Who doesn't want to sure. go to LA and play for the Lakers? If nobody, if they can't get anyone out to LA and plus they still got some good young players too, then that's to me, that's an indictment on LeBron James for sure. Oh, and I think it is. And I, I I agree with the things you said about LeBron. But one of the things that I think that he doesn't get enough criticism for, and especially in the media, is how he has handled certain things and how he treats the other players that uh, he's around. And I think it's all coming. He's kind of reaping a little bit what he sowed, where before he got away with it on pure being just the best player in the world and he could carry a team. And I think he's his skill set's a little bit beyond that. He's still one of the top players in the world. But I don't think he can carry just a bad roster to the finals anymore. The league's too competitive. And and he put himself in the situation going to L.A. He wanted to increase his own brand. That is why he did it. He could have stayed put, tried to make another run with the Cavs. But he did this. It was a selfish move. And, you know, yeah, I don't want to see his career end like this either. But sometimes if you make those types of decisions, this is the you know potential impact. And I think that he's seeing that now. And I think, man, if I'm a free agent, I'm looking at an L.A. team. I'm looking at the Clippers. Yeah, fair enough, man. All right. Golf, and I know you're not a big golf guy, but PGA Championship is this week, moved up from September, so we now have a major in May. This is the second one of the season. Uh, Yeah, two. <laughs> I don't know. I'll probably catch it in passing on the internet, uh, what's going on, but yeah, no, no, I won't watch it. By the way, man, I, I called Lakers coach. I just said John Vogel. I was thinking of the athletic writer. The, the oh, the athletic guy. writer, it's yeah. Frank Vogel, God damn it. It went right over my head, man. John, you're not coaching the Lakers. <laughs> I, I, I'm the complete opposite of you, man. I, I have Tiger Woods winning the Masters has this up to a nine for me. I'm a golf guy to begin with, but I love golf right now. Tiger's back, and he's he's officially back. I mean, he's a major champion now again. You got Brooks Koepka. You got Rory. I, I love the field. Uh, I just And I love the, a major happening in May. I know, you, again, I know you're not a huge golf guy, but I never liked the structure of having two majors over three weeks in July and then just, two weeks after that, the PJ championship. Then you always got either the Ryder cup and, or the tour championship now every year. So it was just too cluttered. I like the fact that they took one of the majors and put it in the May, kind of spread it out a little bit more. So that does it for me. Last topic here. Okay. And then I'm going to get to my interview with Joe DiBiase series finale of Veep aired on Sunday night after the game of Thrones. I know that you're a fan of Veep as well as I am. Huge fan. Yeah. And just don't give me any spoilers because we watch Game of Thrones on Sundays and then my wife's got to get to bed. So we don't watch Veep. She would kill me if I went ahead and watched Veep without <laughs> her. Uh, and we're big fans and I'm dying to find out how this ends. I'm sad that it's ending. Uh, I'm glad that they brought it back to end it. Uh, I think that was really cool. The missing a season really uh, was hard for me. I think it's a criminally underrated show. I really do. Not enough people do gifts of Veep. It just doesn't have the following that a lot of these comedy shows that I think it's on par with have. And I don't know why it is. Um, I don't know how you feel about the show. I know you watch it, but I don't know if you're a fanboy like I am and maybe have some insight as to why people don't love it in the same way they love these other comedies. I don't know why it's just not. Well, it does. It wins a lot of awards, but it doesn't have that mainstream audience. I I couldn't agree with you more, man. I love the show. Jonah Ryan is one of my favorite TV characters of all times. (laughs) I love that dude. And I'm not going to give you any spoilers. I'm like, Game of Thrones, because we're going to talk about Game of Thrones shortly, and yeah. there's going to be spoilers there, because here's my attitude, man. Game of Thrones is such a big show. It's one thing if you can't watch it Sunday live, but oh, you're you done. need to know. Stay off Twitter. Stay off Facebook. Don't listen to podcasts that are, and I'm advertising that I'm going to talk about Game of Thrones and have spoilers anyway. But a show yeah. like Veep, 
that kind of sneaks under the radar. And sometimes I didn't want, actually, you know what? I didn't watch it Sunday night either. I didn't watch it until Monday afternoon. So I could see how that could slip through the cracks for a couple of days. So I won't spoil the ending, especially, and that was the last um, episode of the series ever. Yeah. Classic series. Really good. I don't so know how you feel characters. about the ending. I'm not, again, I don't even want to kind of give hints to whether you're going to like it or not. You can find out for yourself. We'll talk about it afterwards. But well, here, I'm going to give you my conspiracy uh, ending. I told my wife this. No, you don't have to tell me if it happens or not. Okay. I see uh, Richard rising incredibly fast to get the nomination uh, for the Democratic Party. I love Richard's character, and I love how they're just like rising him over this mayor thing and, uh, and to governor. I think this is a hilarious storyline. Uh, and just out of nowhere, dark horse candidate. All right. I'm not going to tell you anything. You'll, All right. you'll find out and then we'll talk about it. Maybe we'll talk about it <laughs> off the air after you see it. Anyway, right. anyway, I want to get to my interview right now with Joe DiBiase from WGR 550. So let's do that right now. And then we'll come back with some Game of Thrones talk. Here's Joe DiBiase. All right. My guest today is a producer at WGR 550 and also host of the Nightcap on WGR during weeknights. He also has a brand new podcast out called The Sneaky Joe Show. We're going to talk about that. I'm very intrigued. I'm joined by Joe DiBiase. What's going on, Joe, man? Thanks for coming on. How you doing? Pat, how are you? Thanks for having me on, man. I'm doing good. Pleasure to have you on. We're going to get to your new podcast and other stuff in a few. For that, though, man, I want to spend, this is kind of what I do when I get anyone from the sports media on the show. I want to spend a few minutes giving fans an opportunity to know a little bit more about you. Now, you're Western New York, born and raised, right? Yep, yep. From Orchard Park, with Orchard Park High School, right by the stadium, like two seconds from it. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about growing up, man. Were you a Buffalo sports fan as a kid? Were the Bills and Sabres your teams? Did you like other teams as a kid? Yeah, I'm a I'm Buffalo sports fan through and through, Sabres and Bills, uh, since I can even remember. Like, my first memories are watching the Bills and Sabres in some instances. So, yeah, um, I'm as Buffalo as it gets. I'm right by... Uh, Grew up right next to the stadium, like two minutes from it. I would even, I was so close to the stadium, the house where I grew up, where I'd go out at halftime playing catch on my driveway with my brother or my dad or whatever, and could hear the roars from the stadium. So that's how close I was. Um, yeah, I, I got into other sports like a little bit later on, like NBA a little bit, uh, soccer and not whatnot, but not really anything to the level where Sabres and Bills, like, yeah, it, I am 100% uh, – like sports fandom, like it still runs through those two teams. Yeah, that's pretty cool, man. And I'm sure we're going to arrive there at some point in the interview, how you've been able to kind of come full circle, growing up a Bills and Sabres fan, just pretty much steps from the stadium. And now you get to, you get to produce yeah. radio and you get to talk about Bills and Sabres for a living, man. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I tell people like sometimes I basically feel like I get paid to hang out for a living. Like I almost, <laughs> yeah. don't, I almost, I almost don't even feel like it's a job because I mean, I've been doing this, my entire life, like high school, like it was me on the bus, like talking bills and sabers with my buddies. And now I'm doing it, but I'm just getting paid to do it. And, you know, producing Chopin the Bulldog has been so awesome since I've started doing it about a year ago, because I was listening to those two guys, like as a kid, like that's what I would go home, play video games. And whenever I was doing that, I'd have one ear at least with Chopin the Bulldog in them. And now I'm listening to them all the time and getting paid for it. So yeah, I am loving what I'm doing, man. And uh, it's great to do it, especially here with the uh, Sabres and Bills. Now you went to Buff State for college. Do you remember what specific age? I know you were talking about being in high school, being on the bus and stuff like that, talking about sports. Do you remember like when your first 
got involved in sports talk, sports media, sports radio, stuff like that, to the point that you said, you know what, when I get older, this is something I want to do in my life. You know, a lot of people grow up and they they play sports, they play football, basketball, whatever have you, but that's not necessarily what they want to do when they're older. It sounds to me, from the early impressions that I'm having with this conversation, that you kind of knew at a young age that being involved in sports media was something that you wanted to do as an adult. Yeah, totally. I mean, my dream job, I feel like, that I can remember was like doing play-by-play for the Sabres, like being the next Rick Jennerette. And I, I don't know, like, and I never thought it was really like a serious thing. Like whenever, like high school, like junior, senior year, they started asking me like, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, what are you going to go to school for? And I, I wanted to do like along this lines, like sports broadcast, but I didn't really know how serious it could have gotten and whether I really had a knack for it. And then I got to Buff State and I like, okay, if I'm going to do it, let, let's take a shot now and let's try and do it. So I went for uh, communication there and I started going down that road, WBNY, the college station. Um, well, first off, one year probably went by before I really got involved in anything. And then second year at Buff State, I'm like, all right, I got to get involved in something just because I can't just be going to class. Like, I feel like I need to be making more of my opportunity at college. And I got into WBNY, just kind of hanging around, seeing what it's all about. And they would do sports talk shows on Mondays. And I just tried to worm my way in there. I was asking the guy who hosts one sports show they would do on Mondays, like, hey, you guys got like room for one more person whenever you need it? Like, I'm down. I can totally talk sports. And it kind of just grew from there. Um, and it grew from there really into me being like two years later, the sports director at that station. And that was a neat experience. It got me in um, an opportunity to kind of get involved with the Buffalo Buttes, the women's hockey team around here, FC Buffalo even a little bit. And it's really just Buff, Buff State and that college station, WBNY, was just, I guess that's where it turned from, hey, I want to do this, to, hey, I could actually maybe do this and maybe make a living off of it. Were you pretty much locked into Buff State? I mean, that is one of the better area programs for sports communication, sports media, and stuff like that. I know. Like from your yeah. radio station, Howard Simon went there, among many right. other people in the media. Well, you went there too. Yep. Yep. You were, so you're pretty locked into there. You knew that you wanted to go there by, say, at some point in high school, obviously. You said, you know what, this is a good school for me. Well, yeah, I started looking around at other schools too, like Syracuse, because I knew that was a huge broadcasting school. Right. And I applied there just to see um, Ohio University, like Michigan State, like some big schools like out of town. Like, hey, I wonder if I could get into these schools. And I got into a few of them. But – monetarily and just wanting to stay close to home. It really didn't make sense to really keep going further down that road. So I honestly, like I've really never considered, I think a school around here in the area other than Buff State, like maybe Brockport a little bit, but even there I would have had to go away to school. So once I think I decided that like I wanted to stay in Buffalo and kind of commute to where I went to college, um, I I think Buff State was pretty much the only school I ever really uh, seriously considered around here. Now you especially. Just quickly, like the, the program, like it's hard to compete with it around here. Like even UB, when I was starting to look into that, like they don't – UB is an amazing university. I'm not taking away anything away from them. Right. But yeah. when you're looking at like a communication department and even like when you're trying to get into radio and TV, like it didn't seem like there was a ton there to offer. And just looking into Buff State, like they had everything it seemed that you needed and it, that definitely came to fruition. Now, you mentioned being a sports director at WBNY while you were at school – that's a college radio station. How important do you think it is for somebody to get involved in their college radio station to get into the line of work that ultimately you would get into it? How important is it to get that type of early experience? I, I think it's to- 
it's definitely important. I, I think you just to get yourself comfortable with the surroundings and the mechanics of everything, as well as to just like, you know, so you don't really go into it's, it's like the familiarity. I, when I walked into WGR, like I didn't feel that much pressure to kind of know what I was doing because I felt like I already had a pretty solid background of what I was getting into. And like college radio, like at BMY was certainly kind of like a stepping stone to, to, to that point where you're almost, it's almost like a practice round, like, in, like to use a golf analogy. Like it's almost like the practice round at Augusta before the masters, like you're getting used to the course. And by the time you get to the course for the actual tournament, you kind of already know what you're doing. So I think it's super important. Plus if, if you're trying to get into radio, like I, there's other stuff you, of course you can get involved with in school, but why not do something like that where it kind of relates to your field? I think it's – if anyone's ever going for radio, I would a 1,000% recommend they try to get involved in their college station. Now, you mentioned doing some color commentary with the Buffalo Buttes. I think that was 2015 you did that for a season. Yep. How was that experience for you? And obviously – and this is well, it's semi-related anyway. You don't, We don't know what's going to happen with the Buttes going forward. What are your thoughts mm-hmm. on that? Well, firstly, on, on – the Buttes when I did color commentary for them and play by play was done by Brayton Wilson, who is now the producer of Howard and Jeremy at WGR two. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, so this was right into me being sports director at WBNY. And I was looking for ways, not for just myself, but other people to get more opportunities. Cause there, it is a college radio station, but there's not a ton of sports broadcasting stuff going on. And it seemed like there was a lot of people there at the station at the time that wanted opportunities so I remember reading about and hearing about how the Buttes and the NWHL, the Women's Hockey League, was getting going and that it was going to be coming to Buffalo. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, at sports director at the time, I'm like, it wouldn't hurt just to, like, send an email to see what they're doing broadcast-wise if they're doing anything. And I just reached out to Danny Ryland, who was the league's commissioner at the time, plus uh, the general manager of the Buttes at the time. I'm escaping who, what the name was. But I reached out to them. And they got back to me and said, we don't really have any plans for radio right now. So I went back and said, hey, like straight up, we are a college station. There's only so much uh, on a professional level you're going to get from us. But we'll be on uh, certain apps like to get your broadcast out on platforms like TuneIn and stuff like that. And they went for it. And to be honest, like I almost feel bad sometimes. I gave myself the opportunity, but I did it to try to get more opportunities and higher opportunities for kids at that station. So I'm like, yeah, I'd like to do color commentary, see if I can do it for hockey. And it was, it was such a fun experience because there was a good crowd atmosphere right. and they had the, they had the all-star game that year and that was a packed house. So it, it, the, I mean, just interviewing Olympians, even like Emily Falzer and Megan Bozak, like I'm just thinking back on that. Like it's, it was like my first get go really with like broadcasting, especially in hockey. And it just seems like a pretty high level uh, to do it. So I was really proud of uh, being able to do that. And looking back now that the league's kind of having financial trouble and the players are boycotting now the Pagulas are out um, from the Buffalo Buttes, like it's hard for me to say I'm not really surprised because, you know, it, it is when you boil it down, it's not a major sport in North America. And it seems like a lot of leagues that aren't major professional sports leagues around here have some sort of trouble at some point and I get why the players want more money, but I don't know the league itself. It's going to be a shame if it doesn't keep going. And I really hope that it does, but I, I'm not going to be surprised really if, if it's hard for it to keep it going, just because I don't know if there's enough financial backing around the country to do it. How did the opportunity for you to get a job at WGR come about? What was that process? So I actually interviewed 
for an internship. This was in college. I think my end of my junior year, I interviewed for a summer internship to, uh, to be at WGR and my program director, Alan Davis sat down or actually I had a phone call with him and Kevin Carr, who also works there as well. Uh, just kind of talking about the internship and whatever. And they came back at me when I had my sit down interview with them and just said, Hey, do you want to work over at our sister station, ESPN 1520 producing, and we'll get you in on WGR a little bit. And they just went right ahead and offered me a job, a part-time job to get in there. So I took it and I had to do a separate internship to satisfy that requirement, which was a little annoying at the time, but it was, it was awesome that I was able to get in there uh, right away. Like while I was going to school and I, that just kind of produced Bisons for a little bit, produced some UB football over on a sister station, ESPN 1520. And then I got the opportunity. I started just recording practice updates, sports updates all the time, uh, sending them to my boss and saying, hey, like, if you ever need a guy, like, I can do it. I can do it. And finally, he gave me a shot to do it. And it just kind of grew from there where I was doing updates. And then I was producing on WGR. And it just kind of blossomed into where I now I'm a full-timer there. Now, it's really cool to be able to get into a place like WGR and and do updates yeah. and produce and stuff like that. It's another thing to actually be on the air. That's something that's happened for you during this process. Was that a little nervous for you at first getting on the air at WGR? Did it take a little bit to get, <laughs> did it get, take a lot? You know, did it takes some time to get pretty comfortable talking yeah. on the air. Dude, you don't even know because me in person, like I am not, I'm a pretty, I feel like I'm a pretty shy person. Like when I first meet people and I, I don't know, like even, I, I'm not sure I talked to, Mike and Chris, uh, Chopin the Bulldog, for two – I don't know if I had a conversation with them for two, three months while I was working there just because I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm a pretty shy guy. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, man. Like I just feel comfortable when I'm sitting behind a microphone. It's not. It's almost like I'm not even talking to hundreds or thousands or I don't know, dozens. I don't even know how many people listen to me, but it's probably uh, more than I think. And just when I'm behind the microphone, I just always felt comfortable about it. I always felt like I was just talking – shooting the, you know what, out with my buddies, just talking about the Bills and Sabres. And I always felt comfortable doing it. So um, I kept getting opportunities to do it. I kept asking for opportunities to do it, uh, hosting on weekends, like fill in when guys like Sal Capaccio and Nate Geary wouldn't be able to do our show Sports Talk Saturday, doing a little bit on Sundays. And then that grew into an opportunity to do seven to nine on weekdays after uh, Shopin' the Bulldog by myself. And I think that was a really good, like, I think that's where I really grew the most uh, talking about sports because it's one thing to kind of be going back and forth with one person, but when you're really in there and you're solo and like you are what is separating people listening right now from dead air and like, you've got to keep talking it, that it was a little bit of nerves at the beginning and it was a little bit of pressure. It felt like at the beginning, but I I feel like once I was able to do that, like the rest of it's a breeze. So um, I'm definitely thankful for the opportunities they've given me, given me so early on here, but yeah, I'm just taking them. I'm running with them, and I uh, I hope that it can keep growing. You know, you bring up a really good point. Now, primarily, this is a sports podcast, but I have a lot of people who listen who are just podcasting because every now and then we just talk about podcasting itself, you know, the process and the art of putting together a podcast. And you brought up a really good point that relates to that. You said, you know, you could be shy in person sometimes, but you're comfortable behind yeah. a microphone because whether one person's listening or several thousand people are listening at the end of the day, it's you and a microphone. And you know, if you have a producer or if not, if you're doing your own producing, if you're producing your own podcast, like I Mm -hmm. do, and it took me a while to be able to get comfortable and used to that concept. I used to be worried when I would be sitting down to record a podcast, especially early on, I'd be like, I'd be thinking, I wonder how many people 
X amount of people are listening. And in my mind, yeah. which would screw me up, man, I'd be, I'd be talking and envisioning an audience of 500 people. And that could kind of screw you up, man. You got to get to that mindset. You know, like you said, with the, you're just talking into a microphone and it's just you and the microphone and what, whatever gear or stuff you got around you. But don't worry about how many people are listening. Just, you know, focus in and lock in and get comfortable and do a good oh. job. It's definitely a process though, isn't it? No, a hundred percent. If I, if, if you gave me a microphone and sat me in an auditorium with like a hundred people in it, I would not sound nearly the same. I feel like that I do when I'm on the air. So yeah, it's almost like second nature that you're just, you're, you're not even envisioning to me at this point, like I'm not even, I don't even think about my audience to an extent. Like I think about what I think is interesting and what I think can get callers in and uh, social media um, reaction and such like that. But in terms of like messing up or stumbling on the air, like I just, you get comfortable enough. I feel like at some point, like once you start doing it a little bit that even when you stumble, you just keep going because it's like, yeah, whatever. Like it happens all the time. Well, let me ask you this too. Okay. Because you're Buffalo born and raised. Is it tough sometimes to be able to, to put that aside for the sake of being at least semi objective on the air. I'll tell you, Sal Capaccio is a friend of mine. He's done this show twice and, I've known Sal for over a decade now. We've had many, many conversations through cool. the years. He's an unapologetic Buffalo Bills fan. He grew up in Buffalo, and he's a Bills fan. And it was a little bit of a process for him to to turn into, you know, sure. going from being a huge, I don't want to say homer, but he would always find a positive spin. In some ways, he still does. But now, he's the Bills beat reporter. He knows that sometimes he needs right. to drop the hammer on them. And it was a kind of a process for him getting used to being like that. Is it kind of like that for you? It, it, you of course... You know, it's fine to want the Bills and the Sabres to do well or even to want them to win. But when you're on the air, man, you got to you got to be objective. You know what I mean? You can't be afraid to drop the hammer on somebody when you need to. I, I, I totally agree. I 100 percent agree. And to me, I've always kind of been like that. I've never I, I don't want to say Homer, but I've really never felt like I was someone that just kind of ran with and thought the complete optimistic side of whatever the teams were doing, whatever the bills or Sabres were doing, if anything, following them for my entire life, it's not diminished my love for the teams, but anytime they do something, I almost have to second guess it or feel like in the back of my mind, Hey, this is what could go wrong because as a 23 year old Buffalo sports fan, like I don't have to tell you the last 15, 16, 17 years, like of me watching them has not really gone that great. <laughs> no, so, so to me, like I always feel like I, I'm I'm right there to be able to be ob- objective, and I don't always want to take the pessimistic side of things. So to me, I just I I almost don't even if it ever becomes a problem, maybe I would think of it this way. But whenever I'm thinking about a move or a hire or a report that's going on with the Bills or the Sabers, I don't even really think about whether I'm being a homer or whether I'm just being a jerk, just criticizing everything they do. I just kind of say what I think is my opinion of what they're doing. And to, like, I, it, it's hard to separate the players from the team and to separate the coach and the GM from the team. But I think I do that. Like I'll root for the logo and I'll root for the teams on the ice every time. But to me, it, just because you're a Sabres and a Bills fan doesn't mean you have to blindly uh, follow and agree with every single thing that they're doing. Right. Absolutely. Now being at WGR, I would assume that you're kind of a sponge early on as you get your career going because you have the benefit of a lot of veterans there. Not just a lot of veterans, yeah. a lot of guys. The continuity at WGR, that's one of my favorite things about GR. It's just <laughs> been there. I mean, you got in the morning, you got Jeremy and you got Howard. I've had both of them on this show. They've been together for a very long time. You got Chopin the Bulldog in the afternoon. 
You got a guy like Sal who's so versatile. I mean, he's a he's a beat reporter. He could jump on air for any show, anytime. He's been doing that for quite a while now. And then, of course, you got someone like Paul Hamilton, man. He's just a hardcore sports journalist, an old school guy like that. You know what I mean? You've had a yeah. lot of people around you, I'm sure, to be able to kind of be a sponge and kind of soak up how they go about their job and learning from them. And wow, that's got to be a nice little advantage for you. Yeah, man, it's awesome. I, I like the word you use there, continuity, because we hear the Bills especially use that word a lot, and that is kind of how it feels, because um, a lot of the guys have been around a long time. And I feel like I kind of, at least I try to pick a, like something from every guy and try to mold it into what I do. Um, like Mike, for instance, can be very critical at times, so I feel like there are points where I will be willing to be critical because I'll watch him and I'll listen to him do it right before I'm on the air. Um bulldog can get very emotional at times he's very i I love when he goes on rants i think he's super good at it yes very good yeah it's so good like whenever i'm making opens for the show i feel like 75 percent of the time it's bulldog going off about something (laughs) um so i i want to kind of mold that into myself a little bit howard and like his work ethic he's always on top of what needs to get done during the show um i think i picked up on something from him where i have a little notebook where whenever like before the show I'm listening to the guys or maybe I'm watching a Bills or Sabres game, any thought I have in my head that I think will be somewhat interesting to people listening, I jot it down so I don't forget it. And I think that's something I picked up from Howard. Sal's a guy who, like you said, you know him. Like He is an insanely hard worker. Like you need, him, you need him to be on air. You need him to co-host a show with you. You need him to host a show on a weekend. Like Sal is going to be there. Yeah, he's and, that guy. Yep. yep. And totally. And I, I think I'm trying to pick up on something like that too where I'm just trying not to say no to anything. And I think Sal is uh, someone I've watched do that as well. So it, to me, it's just kind of – looking at all the guys and maybe picking something from each of them and trying to make it into my own thing. Definitely. Now, before we get out of here and wrap up, I want to talk about your podcast for a few. What made you decide to start a podcast, which again, it's called the sneaky Joe show. This is out Tuesday yeah. morning. We're taping this a little beforehand, depending on when people hear this, this may or may not already be out, but tell us about what made you decide to start doing this podcast. So, I really wanted to, because I'm a very serious, I think, Buffalo sportsman in that I'm intense about it and that I follow it very, like every time there's something on the Sabres or Bills, like it's very rare that I miss it. Um, but I also, I like the the nonsense part of sports and the, the, the humor part of sports. And maybe I don't always take it as seriously as maybe I used to. And I listen to some shows like the Dan Levitard show, for instance, and there's other shows out there too that are just like, don't really take sports like a thousand percent serious. Mm-hmm. The one thing I just, the one thing I never want to be is like, you watch the NBC um, NHL intermission shows and I'll, they have a lot of critics and I'm definitely one of them. But the one thing that they are, is like, it's so professional and so serious. And to me, sometimes it's so serious and professional that it almost makes it not interesting. Right. And I wanted to do something where I didn't have to be, you know, have to be talking about the Bills and Sabres. Not that that's a bad thing. Like, I love doing it. But something where I can just kind of like you can just go with the flow. And if you're not going to talk about sports, then we won't talk about sports. Like, I'm, I'm thinking about doing Game of Thrones review episodes, to be honest. Like, <laughs> I love I, it, man. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if, if something is interesting and it's on your mind and it doesn't have to it doesn't have to uh, be about sports then I wanted a, a platform where I could be able to do that too. And I can do that, of course, a little bit on the air at WGR as well, but not really. Like you can go a whole episode. I can do a whole show um, at, during the weekdays and not mention the Bills or Sabres. Like, I just don't think I can even try to get away with that. Um, so to me, like the podcast, it, it's it's going to be 
a, a lot of talk about sports, but also just like random stuff like politics, even um, TV shows, movies, food, drinks, like what's trending. Just uh, I just kind of want it to be free flowing and free, free basically to talk about whatever we think is interesting at that point in time. My brother, Louis DiBiase, who's now contributing as well, WGR, is going to be on the podcast. My friend, Nick Lozanowski, who I grew up with, who's now also a contributor to WGR, is going to be on the podcast. So it's cool to be able to do it with two guys, too, that uh, that I've known basically my entire life. All right. So cool. It's not going to be a solo podcast. You have a couple of your brother yeah. and, a, and a buddy on. Kind of give you an opportunity to be a little more personable, because that's what I was going to ask you, man. It seems like everybody nowadays has a podcast that's the the end thing to do right. and to make it successful or not maybe so much successful because i guess successful could be defined by a lot of things but to make it worth your time doing and for you to get something out of it you want it to be something different that's what i decided back when i first started this podcast it's like i, I can't just yeah. talk straight sports if i'm just going to talk bills and sabers go listen to wgr why would you want to listen to this show you know mm-hmm. what i mean it's, it's having people on like yourself and interviewing people and giving fans an opportunity to get to know a little bit more about you besides just hearing you weeknights on seven to nine on WGR and stuff like that. That was kind of the premise of my podcast and why I think that it's worked is it's just a little more personal and gives fans a chance to know you. And it's tough. Like you're right. Like it it seems like everyone does have a podcast. It it seems like everything is out there in one way or another. Um, So yeah, like you got to kind of find your own space. And even if it's occupied by someone else, if there's not a lot of people doing it, then maybe you could do it better than them. That's kind of how I thought about this. Cause like, I don't think my podcast is completely unique. Like I even mentioned like the Dan Levitard show. Like, I think they're one of the most un- entertaining shows. And I think that's along the lines of what I'm going for, but in a local market, like here in Buffalo, and I- I'm trying to do something along those lines. And like you said, like what, why make a podcast if it's just the same as 10,000 other things out there? It, I, I wanted to, you want it to stand out. And like you said, you've done that with your podcast. I'm hoping to do it uh, with mine as well. I don't want it to just be, like another sports radio show or another sports podcast. You wanted to stand out a little. Well, I'll tell you what, if nothing else, I mean, this is an audio podcast. I wish it was a video because I'd love to put on your logo right now on this podcast. That shit <laughs> is sweet, is man. Awesome. That's a like, sweet ass logo. If nothing else, you got oh one of the gosh. better podcast logos I've seen. I have to give credit to my, my friend, uh, my friend's brother-in-law Garrett uh, is into graphic design. And I was talking about making a podcast and I, I was mentioning it to him and he's like, Cause he's into graphic design. He's into making logos. So why don't you give me a shot at it and see what I can do? And he did. I mean, when he came at me with that, I'm like, I, I have to do the podcast now. Like I was going to do it almost for sure anyway, but how can I not do it with this logo? Like the logo <laughs> is so awesome. I'm it's going to be hard to live up to it. I, it's it's, I, I love it a lot. <laughs> I get a lot of people who listen to the show. Like I said earlier, it's because I, I talk about podcasting from time to time, not any specific. So show just the, the process of podcasting for yours. What's your typical process going to be like for putting out your podcast? Are you guys going to hook up somewhere? Are you going to go out somewhere to record? Are you going to, do you have like a home office set up that they're going to come record at? Are you going to hook up by phone, by Skype, generally speaking? Like what's your typical process going to be? So I have a home office and I was think I just um, moved into a new place out here by Orchard Park and the WGR studios are in Amherst and my friend Nick, who's going to be doing the podcast with me from WGR and uh, my brother Lou, they are. They're at WGR, but it's a bit of a, it's not a, it's kind of a hike. Like Amherst is 20 minutes away from here. Sure. And I, I got this office. I'm like, I don't know what to do with it. So I'm like, I'm just going to make it into a podcast studio. Like, why not? Like, I, I, did, I don't yeah. know. Right. Like what else am I going to do with it? So 
I just started finding people that, uh, that knew about microphones and about podcasting, just asked some advice from them. And, uh, we got our mics. We just got, we just got to do some setup still, but we're just about ready to go. And it's probably going to, it's going to be a weekly podcast, but I don't want to be, you know, stingent to only doing one a week. If something happens, like if game of Thrones is on people's mind, we want to do a whole episode about that. Then maybe there'll be times when we do two a week, but it's going to be a weekly podcast. And, uh, yeah, we're going to be doing it from my home office uh, out here in Orchard park. And I, I think that's the, the cool part, too, because I really don't have to go anywhere. I love that about it. Oh, I know. I absolutely love it, too. Man, I, I, I'm so sad that Game of Thrones is coming to end. By the time people listen to this, we're taping this right before the fifth episode, so we don't know what's going to happen. I, You will know when you listen to the rest of this podcast, because I'll be talking about it later on in this show. But yeah, doing things like that are a lot of fun. I do got one more question for you, man. Sure. Then I'm going to let you go. I've seen this on Twitter. I don't know what it's all about. In a way, I'm glad I don't, because now I get to ask you. I saw a bunch, when you had your announcement that you're going to be doing the Sneaky Joe show as a podcast, I saw a bunch of the mentions in there before I reached out to you to come on and do this show. I saw a bunch of Troy Aikman comments attached to fans regarding, <laughs> regarding your announcement. And I've seen that in the past too. What's yeah. that story, man? What the hell is that all about? So, <laughs> so back in the fall, I think it was September, um, I really I crafted a tweet that was basically a very interesting stat, but I found a way to throw some opinion into it. It was a stat that essentially said that Ryan Fitzpatrick has more passing touchdowns in his career, in like 30 less games, by the way, or even more than that maybe, than Troy Aikman does in his career. All right, interesting stat, right? Like that, I tweet that out mm-hmm. just thinking, wow, people will find this interesting. Ryan Fitzpatrick has more touchdown passes than – Troy Aikman. Now, I maybe poked the bear a little bit, and I threw some quote marks around Hall of Famer in front of Troy Aikman, and I wasn't really, I guess, saying that I didn't think he was a Hall of Famer, but maybe I was saying, hey, like, I I don't even know what I was saying by it, but I threw some opinion into it, and Troy Aikman got a hold of it. I don't know how he got a hold of it. <laughs> I still think at this point, like I didn't tag him in it. Right. I didn't see anybody like tweet it at him, like with his handle. I, I'm thinking he may have searched his own name on Twitter, which I really hope is the case because that would be so awesome <laughs> just, to, just to be walking around with that. And he got a hold of it and he quote tweeted it with who cares. And you know, like kind of lame, but like whatever, who cares? Sure. But it, it, he obviously cared enough to where he tweeted back at it, even though he wasn't mentioned in the tweet. And it just grew and spiraled into this huge thing. I had Cowboy fans flooding my mentions for days. And then a Dallas uh, Cowboys reporter, it escapes me who that was at this point, but he made a point like, this is what fantasy football does to people. It's like, just look at the stats essentially. And then it became this whole fantasy football debate. I had Matthew Berry in my timeline arguing with this Cowboys reporter and Damian Woody was getting in on it, Ed Werder, and just like all of these football writers. Like I felt like I lit the football social media world on fire just in the middle of the NFL season. I Maybe I just overhyped it because I was in the middle of the storm and it felt like like it became this whole thing. But I mean, I was seeing my tweet shown on sports center, like a screenshot of it and on the Dan Patrick show. So it was really cool. Like I think my followers jumped like double what they were before that, but essentially that's what that was. So whenever, um, Really, I have a tweet about anything almost at this point. It seems like somebody's out there with, but what does Troy Aikman think about this? That's hilarious. It's, it's crazy, too, how a tweet could just 
take off and have a life of its own. Right. Now, back in, I, it was 2011, man. I had a blog. So, and you were young. You definitely weren't at WGR then. Who, I don't even know how old you no, were at I the time. No, I would have been, I would have been 15 years old. All right, so well, you I were 15 Twitter, years old. I, I wrote a tweet about Dante Whitner attached to one of my blogs. And, um, he ended up, long story short, got wind of okay. it. And next thing you know, he wanted to fight me. Like, he literally. Like, this fight? physically challenged me to a, a boxing wow. match. He wanted to fight me for charity. It was a three-round boxing match. Same kind of deal. It was on ESPN, Pro Football Talk, wow. did his thing because he wanted to beat up a, a blogger. It was all because I of a I did not know this. Yeah. That's that was, awesome. That was my, unfortunately, my claim to fame to this point. But and uh, he would have been he would have been with the Bills still at that point, right? Yeah, he was still with the Bills. It was 2011. Wow. Yep, yep. Anyway, it's just crazy. Wow. I'm, I'm glad I got to know that, though, because like I said, every time I see your name and I – I look at your yeah. matches. I always see something with Troy Aikman, so that's good to know, man. <laughs> yeah, I got a, I got a connection to a Hall of Fame quarterback, I guess, for the rest of my life. So I guess I can't argue too much with it. Well, there you go. Get him on your podcast sometime. Set that as your, one of your I'll, one of your I podcast will, goals. I will certainly try. I do not think he would ever do it, but I will absolutely <laughs> try for it. All right, guys, follow Joe on Twitter at sneaky Joe WGR. Make sure to check out his stuff at WGR550.com. By the way, you know what? I'm going to stop this outro right here. I forgot to ask you one question. I actually yeah. read a lot of your articles. You do a good job writing. We've been talking about, we've been talking about speaking and podcasting and radio stuff. I never got to ask you, man. Do you like, yeah. do you enjoy doing sports writing? Like, do you like writing for the website? I, I gotta be a hundred percent honest with you, man. I, I do. I do to some extent. Part of the I'm, gig. I'm not, I, it's part of the gig. Like, I don't really like it a whole lot. Like my dream job wouldn't be, to be a sports writer. Now, if, if that opportunity ever came out to me, like I definitely feel like I could do it. And it's not like I don't enjoy it enough where I feel, I feel like I could do it for a living. But if you knew me like as a student, like English and like those classes, like where I had to write long essays, like I just despise doing them. So the, the fact that I'm able to do it kind of in my own way at WGR, I guess I do enjoy it. Cause I especially enjoy like doing the research for it and mm-hmm. such. Um, it's definitely, it's not my favorite thing in the world, I guess, but I, I do enjoy doing it the way, um, that they let me do it over at uh, WGR right now. Well, you do a good job, man. So everyone go check out his stuff at WGR550.com. And of course, check out the Sticky Joe podcast. It should be out later today. If not for sure, sometime this week. Anyway, thanks a lot, Joe, man. I appreciate you coming on. This was fun. Yeah, Pat, appreciate uh, the time and thanks for having me on. Hi. My name is Matt Cundell, and this portion of the Moranolytics podcast is powered by my company, MattCundellVoice.com. If you need a voice for your company videos, narration, e-learning, maybe it's your radio or TV ad, or even your phone system, consider using my voice to tell your story. I'm not only a sponsor of this podcast, I'm also a regular listener, wrestling fan, and longtime supporter of the Buffalo Bills. For more, check out MattCundellVoice.com or click on the link in the show notes. All right, that was Joe DiBiase. I'm back here with Aaron Quinn from Cover One. Dude, it's time, man. Game of Thrones, let me tell you something, okay? I watched it Sunday, and I probably, what is the show? It was about an hour and 20 minutes. I watched it a second time, which would bring it up to close to, what, three hours? I spent double that time on Monday watching YouTube videos, every single review, every single conspiracy theory, Every article that you could possibly get your hands on the internet, I think I freaking read all of them and watched all of them and still at this moment right now, not necessarily for good reasons, mind you, I'm still stunned about Sunday night's episode. What are you stunned about? 
What? I'm stunned at that Daenerys did what she did. And again, this really? is a spoiler, and I've warned people many times, so we could talk yeah, about no, it. Yeah, no, you're getting I spoiled. am stunned yeah. that she did what she did, that she burned the city to the ground. I did not. It's not maybe that I didn't see it playing out like that, but I didn't see it playing out that the bells would ring and that they literally, that the Lannister army was surrendering and she still wiped them out. And one last thing too, and this is what makes it the most fucked up to me, okay? It would have been one thing for her to take her dragon and go all the way to the keep and, and burn that whole area down. But she took that dragon and went street by street sideways. Like I do my lawn. Yeah, yeah. yeah just wiping everybody out. It's crazy. I mean, there might have been hints of what was to come if you paid attention, I guess, to the series. But in my wildest dreams, I did not think that it was going to happen the way it did. I was not surprised that she snapped and became that mad queen like her father before her character only in the sense that it what has been talked about i thought i have not liked danny now for a couple seasons because i felt her getting this like superpower hungry getting real snippety at anybody who questioned her in any way um and it became the stuff that she was talking about in the first couple seasons of talking about freeing people from tyrants she was kind of legitimizing her horrible actions over and over again throughout the series that she was going to remove this tyranny from the world, but she was using tyranny to create, uh, you know, this, uh, oasis that she's trying to create. So you could just kind of see it developing her just, uh, slowly becoming a terrible person. And then this year it just ramped up finding out about John, John, not loving her back, all that stuff. You could just see it boiling inside of her. And, I do agree with you that the way that they approached it, I didn't see coming with the bells. Although when Tyrion was there with her, he said, if they ring the bells, you'll stop. And she kind of just looked at him for a second and then was like, yeah, sure, I'll stop. Um, that kind of in hindsight foreshadowed it. But they, the way they did that was phenomenal uh, TV. And I think this episode, we, we've seen a lot of great scenes and a lot of great stuff. Uh, any of the problems I have with this episode, I can get over because the cinematography uh, in this episode alone was so phenomenal. It made up for all the low budget stuff they did earlier in the season. Cause they blew the budget on this last episode. Well, I'll tell you this, man. I, like I told you, I've listened to watched and read a shitload of reviews and almost universally, almost universally. They're, they're negative. There are a lot of people who did not like it. Let's, Let's stick with her for a second, okay? Because I get it to an extent. You know, she turns heel. I always use wrestling analogies for yeah, yeah. literally everything in my life, okay? She turned heel, all right? She officially becomes the Mad Queen. There was, I mean, she was always, you know, a liberator of all the slaves, but she was a conqueror as well. She killed Samuel's father and his brother a few seasons ago. That was pretty yep. nasty, but it felt like she gave them an opportunity to show mercy. Bend the knee and I'm not going to kill you. You know what I mean? There was, sure. there was always a fine line between her being a brutal conqueror and a liberator. And obviously she crossed that line Sunday and I get it to an extent, the story that they're trying to tell. Okay. Because just think of all she lost just over the last couple episodes. I mean, her biggest ally in Jorah who loved her, he, he's killed her BFF Masande. She, she gets beheaded right in front of her face. She, she finds out that various betrays her. She lost trust, another dragon, lost another dragon. Tyrion, Obviously, she can't trust him. She doesn't trust him. And then she got rejected by Jon Snow. She pretty much last episode at the beginning, 
she's thrown and she knows everything that he knows and that they're related, whatever she throws her, herself at him. You know, she puts herself out yep. there and, and he rejects her. So, and not only does he reject her, the people around that scene after the, uh, after they killed the ice King, that scene where everybody's saying what a great King he would make. The people of Westeros love John. She right. knows the people of Westeros hate the Targaryens after the reign of the mad King. So there's a jealousy factor there as well as a, um, he doesn't love me anymore factor. So that, that is a wild array of emotions. Um, if you try to put yourself in the shoes of the character, uh, to be dealing with all at once. I'll tell you, man, speaking of wild range of emotions, my wife is a big, big, big Thrones fan. She's been a fan since day one. I jumped on the bandwagon before, um, I think season six, this is only the second season that I have watched week by week where I didn't binge it to catch up. But anyway, point being is this as Daenerys was flying around, literally burning down the city and killing tens of thousands of people. She literally got off the couch and was yelling at the TV. You know how like we would if the Bills yeah. screw up, if Josh Allen throws a fourth quarter pick and, and the Bills lose, they go out like yeah. that. That was my wife screaming at the TV. I'll tell you, I don't know if it's impressive, but one thing I never, ever thought Game of Thrones would be able to do this late in the game is turn Cersei around from being this absolute evil monster to almost this sympathetic figure. That's how I, I kind of felt that way in the end. I was like, well, what, what could she do? You know, the, the, the way it plays out, Daenerys goes mad. She kills so many innocents. I, you know, I kind of forgot that just like what an episode earlier, Cersei had, like I said, Missandre beheaded and she lied. She never sent people to help fight the white walkers earlier in the season. She's been evil from pretty much day one, but somehow yeah. this episode, it kind of made me feel a little bit sorry for her. Parts of it, yeah, but then the thing, so going into this episode, because of my built-up hatred for Danny, and I don't want Danny to win, part of me was hoping that maybe Cersei pulled it off in some weird way, but yeah. then when I saw the doors lock when Jamie was trying to get in, and she locked it on all the common folk, that's just like the same old Cersei. So like, yeah, Danny killed all these people. Yeah, Danny went on this rampage in Burnham, but Cersei put all these people in the position to be locked inside uh, King's Landing to be burnt. You know, uh, they warned her that this would rain down fire if she left everybody in there and she did it anyway. And she it was a bad game of chicken and it's gone tor- horribly wrong. Uh, but I, I think that they're both at, you know, responsible for that. I didn't love Jamie's quick turn, whatever revision back to who he was. Right. Uh, that storyline has been going for this whole eight years of him. You know, in that first season, he started off as this cocky douchebag, uh, incestual brother. And he's kind of gone away from that to get so humanized. I think he had one of the best par- character arcs in the show and kind of culminating in him knighting Brienne. And that was just phenomenal. And I think they should have just killed him off in that battle uh, as an honorable guy. And but then they just I felt like they totally destroyed him and then him going back and dying with Cersei. Yeah, there was a little bit of emotion towards Cersei during that period of time. But I also wanted her to get a little bit more justice served to her for all the things that she has done. Right. And then just her and Jamie dying. I don't know. I didn't like the Jamie character development. I think if they would have killed him off. Uh, up in Winterfell, I think that would have been a great way. You know, he knighted Brienne before the war and then they fight side by side and he dies defending her honor or something like that. I think that would have been a much better uh, character development. Yeah, I completely agree. Before I get to that, man, I you talked about the cinema, cinema photography and how that was awesome. 
I agree with that. And the other thing I really, that bat, which kind of leads into that, the battle between the hound and the mountain. I, I really like that a lot. We all knew that was coming forever. Okay. And unlike Jamie and Cersei, and I got a thought on that as well. Like you just explained that, that kind of felt like a letdown, all things considered. We knew forever the hound and the mountain were destined to score off. And for me, that battle completely lived up to the expectations. I love where the hound realized that near the end, he wasn't going to be able to kill this dude by stabbing him. He wasn't going to die. And he realized that he knows he's going to die anyway. So essentially he takes him out, man. He just launches him both to their death, you know, falling into a, a fire, of course, that, that's also fitting on how he would die. But mm-hmm. it's like that to me lived up to the expectation. I don't know if it did for you, but for me, it definitely did. Yeah, no, it did. And that's another story that has just been constantly developing over the years uh it is it's defined the hound right and everything about him and aria that right before he left to go do the fight that scene with aria was fantastic too because he has not been nice to really anyone except for a little bit to sansa when he tried to get her out of king's landing and then to aria and that is a weird relationship when you go back there but he loves aria he really does and you could see that in his face and in the acting and that was a great scene when he's like you know what we've come this far but I'm going to die here. I've known that forever. This is wh- where my path leads me, but you're, this isn't the path for you. Get out of here. And that was super cool. So it was perfect right from the start. And then he, you know, kind of marches up those stairs and, uh, says hi to Cersei. And, and then he knows what time it is. And, uh, he knew that he was not going to win that fight. Uh, and, and just everything about it, walking up those stairs, the dragon flying over them as they're getting ready to do battle, just everything ripping down and beyond them and then like you said uh how fitting and ironic for him to end up dying by being plunged into a big thing of fire it, it was just really well done and people have given the writers a lot of crap on their show and i don't think that they can do that there and how they ended that part of the story that's right i mean you just said it i've heard so much it's when the battle of winterfell where it seems like all the main characters for the most part lived and Arya was the one who killed the night king i kept hearing what is this disney you know the, the yeah. show's lost his ruthlessness. Well, ain't nobody saying that now. I mean, how how can you? There were a couple other things I really loved, too. I, I thought, I like when I don't know if something's going to happen. I thought Arya, I thought there was a really good chance. I, I was feeling it in my bones that she was going to die several times over that last half hour. I thought that she could die. I, re, I like that feeling. I like having no idea how Tyrion is going to live through all this. And maybe there's a good chance that he doesn't. He, yeah. he did free Jamie, And I'm sure Daenerys will find out about that. Uh, she doesn't trust him. So how does he survive? That's going to be really interesting. I'm I'm locked into that. And I also like, although it was a heel move, again, going back to that wrestling term with Grey Worm, it showed that he's just a character who's unhinged, who has nobody anymore. He watched the love of his life get beheaded just one episode before. So he's like, you know, fuck this, man. And he took that spear and chucked it right through him even after they surrendered, which started that big fight. I kind of like that character arc with him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I do. I, I think there's a lot of my wife and I were just talking about this actually while we we're eating dinner is I don't know how they're going to wrap this up in an episode. There's right. so yeah, yeah. many loose ends and strings and storylines that are still in the process of developing. It's going to be a really interesting week next week, how they wrap it all up. Uh, yeah, I think Tyrion is going to really have to use that slick tongue of his to get out of this because she knows not to trust him. I do. I agree with you. She's going to find out that he let his brother go. And that was such a cool moment, too. I think oh, Tyrion, yeah. 
by by leaps and bound, I think, is the best actor in this series. Uh, every time he's in a scene with dialogue, it's some of the best scenes in, in every episode that he's in. The, the scenes with him and uh, uh, Jamie were fantastic. And I think that's one of the best relationships and developed relationships in this entire show outside of that Arya and the Hound. Yeah, they have uh, great chemistry for sure. They man. really do, man. The way his the, Tyrion's family has treated him and the, the real that bond that those two have and it, the fact that Tyrion was freed by Jamie at one point and now he was returning the favor is just a really cool way to wrap that up with a bow. I just didn't like how Jamie died, but I liked that portion of it. So uh, I love what they did there. Um, the only thing, the really the character development that I like the least is Jon Snow. And I think that I'm in the minority here because I think a lot of people love Jon. They see Jon as the king or Aegon, whatever you want to call him right now. Um, I think he sucks, to be honest. I think this whole he's overly emotional. He's overly noble. Um, it gets in his way. It clouds his judgment. It has for years. And I don't like it, man. I, him standing by Daenerys, even though he's seeing all the signs and seeing her power hungry and she's demanding that he not tell people about himself because she wants the power and him just saying, no, this is my queen. And then sitting there and, and watching people die uh, ruthlessly. Uh, I I just don't know how he can take it anymore. He's got to make a stand. Yeah, I tell you what, man, I'm not overly fond of incest, but if it's going to mean saving potentially 200,000 innocent lives, I'm going to have to bang my aunt, man. It's just, <laughs> just, just the way it's going to be, man. For, for real, though, there were a couple things I did hate about the episode, and one of them I completely agreed with, and you already touched on this. Cersei's death and, and Jamie's too, that, and their arcs, it just, you, you spend an entire series building up these characters and you, and you talked about it with Jamie, man, this redemption arc that he was on for so long and to have him come back and just, just, they had him come back 100% so that he could die with Cersei. It just left me wanting a lot more. And I agree with you hundred percent, the proper way to kill him off. If this was what they were going to do. Maybe have him get killed trying to get to her. And that would have been sad and tragic. Don't have him yeah. get to her and then die like that. That was cheesy to me. And it did take away from a lot of his redemption arc from the previous seasons. I agree with you 100%, man. That When he, the Night King invaded the Battle of Winterfell, that would have been the perfect time for him to go out. He comes out and he's, he's dying trying to save Brienne or anybody like that. I think that would have been the right thing. Cersei's death, look, you, you, built, you built it up for eight seasons for me to hate her. I hate her and I want some satisfaction and I'm not trying to be a sadist here or nothing, but that, that fell short for me. Let Arya kill her or if you don't want Arya getting all the kills, let Daenerys, let the dragon find her somehow. She's trying to escape and she gets caught out in the open and somehow Daenerys finds her. Something like that could have happened. There's so many different ways that I would have rather seen her die. To me, that felt really weak. I, I guess because of everything that happened, and this is my biggest beef, okay? Whether it's Game of Thrones or Veep or God Knows the Office, man, I've done it a million times. I love to rewatch series because every time I do, I feel like I get something else out of it. And yeah. up until this point, I was really, really, really looking forward to watching this series just because of the little things that maybe I didn't understand or pay much attention to early on. But now I'm going to have a tough time because I feel like there was such a lack of payoff for investing my time in this with Cersei and Jamie and how they died that it has me losing interest. I'll know all along now that the payoff isn't there. You know what I mean? I can't buy into Jamie's redemption arc as much knowing how he died. It's just stupid. There's nothing. You know what I'm saying? 
you and it's a large that? investment. No, I do. And I was thinking about it while I was watching the show, uh, at, like halfway through the show, I was thinking, man, I really got to go back and, and rewatch from the beginning and, and catch this up. But, and then, and also in my mind, I said, man, that's eight seasons. Usually when I rewatch is something, it's four seasons, five seasons, and I'm done with it. Uh, eight seasons is a lot of investment to rewatch. And yeah, I, I don't know that it's going to be worth it with some of these characters. Hopefully next week I will go back and say, yes, that was totally worth it. I totally missed this connection and they they've surprised right. me but the writing i mean i know people are complaining about it online i don't know if they have it in them to make some big crazy uh out of this we didn't see that coming kind of connection to and, and wrap it up real cool like that i just don't know that they have that in them i think that they're just trying to get this done in a sense which sounds kind of crazy um but yeah no i i'm i agree with you 100%. what about denarius i mean you, you watch the show from the beginning and yeah. nothing in seven and a half seasons indicated that she would slaughter tens of thousands of innocent people it feels to me and again to use the uh, the wrestling terms that i always go back to it just feels like crazy booking to me you know what i mean it's like a wrestler losing week after week after week then all of a sudden he's the wwe champion just like that you know what i mean it's just it just comes out of nowhere there were little hints and things that she would become somewhat unhinged but to go and literally burn down an entire city with innocent people before even trying to get to the Red Keep, there's just nothing that I go back and I watch that indicates to me that that was how this was going to play out in the end. Yeah, like I said, I, ultimately, I wasn't surprised when she started doing it. I was like, oh, OK, that I could see that happening. But yeah, no, I think it was a little yeah, you could say that it was a little bit rushed. But with Cersei gone, there has to be a heel. Even when they end the story, there's going to have to be a heel. Otherwise, it's a Disney ending and it's paradise in Westeros and a happy ending. And I don't that is not how I think uh, it's supposed to end this story after all the ruthlessness that we've seen. So that would be surprising to me. Um so I get it. They had to build up one last heel and maybe this is the battle between John and her, or this is the person that Arya goes and kills, whatever it is. Um, I have a surprise theory that I would like to see. I want to see. Save it. Uh, I'm going to ask that? you. The last thing I'm going to ask you is for a prediction. Okay. So save All that right. for, save that for just a minute. I got a couple more notes before we get to our final predictions. Okay. Uh, there were a couple things and I got notes here. Not, not necessarily good or bad, but things that I thought could be a factor that never happened. And this is another thing I do have a problem with. The episode before they get ambushed, granted, in this, you know, by the fleet with Euron and the dragon gets killed. This episode, they got a million more scorpion, uh, scorpion, um, what do you call them? The, the bullets, the whatever. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the shots that could kill the dragon. There's so many more of them. They're prepared. They know that Daenerys is coming. And within like 30 seconds, she still wipes out the entire fleet and then goes and kills everybody with all the scorpions. Within what, 30 seconds? I didn't like that. Another thing, the Golden Company, we spent so much time hearing about uh, them and seeing them. Many thought that, I thought that ultimately they were going to turn on the Lannisters. I thought it would be about money and stuff like that. That never materialized. Never had a chance because, again, literally, they're wiped out within two minutes of action. I was kind of I was kind of looking forward to seeing them battle. You know, I was, Such a dumb storyline there because uh, uh, some of the guys, things that I watch on YouTube, talk about the Golden Company in the books as being like a really big deal. These are the, the top hired hands right, in yes. the world. This was going to tip the scales in the favor of the Lannisters in this war. And literally, it was actually nothing. They showed up early at the first episode of the season. You thought, damn, that looks impressive. They're here. They're ready to fight. Yeah, 20,000. Yeah. Yeah, and then it's just nothing. They, I don't know, man. And the the whole not having the elephants thing that was weird because they made a, a point to talk about that 
uh, and have Cersei mention how upset she was about that. And in the book, that is apparently a big thing. These war elephants. Right. I don't know. Some people online have speculated that was a CGI budget. They just didn't have the budget to bring in elephants uh, through CGI, which I don't know. That would have been kind of cool to see elephants running at the Darthrakis and the dragon having to deal with elephants. Like that would have been a maybe cool looking battle scene. I don't know. They could have done something to otherwise. What's the purpose of having the Golden Company there? You could have just had the Lannister army there. It would have been no difference. They just kind of fell flat on that part of the story. Last thing I had in my notes, too, and this is kind of cool. The wildfire. I thought that that would become a major factor during this battle, and it wasn't. Dragon, like I said, destroyed everything. But what was cool is you could see the green fire, wildfire going off several times as the city was burning down. Like, that's what she had. That was going to be her weapon. But Daenerys made sure that it was not a factor. Just the visualization of that I thought was really cool. Dude, it's so cool, the wildfire. Uh, yeah, I. it would have been nice to see some more battle. I know that we saw a little bit of it in the previous episode with the dragon getting taken out but it really was i mean this was like a mike tyson fight in the mid 90s you know this wasn't even close to a fight it had so much built up to this battle and doesn't it make the dragon getting taken out last week more infuriating though how it happened so quick and easily just one just imagine if that didn't happen holy shit yeah (laughs) yeah no and i get it they want to establish that this is a badass chick daenerys is a badass chick and and she hasn't really had this where she came in and just destroyed a major army in this way. Uh, we've heard about how badass she can be. And once the dragons are full grown. So we saw that it was absolutely on full display, but there really was no fight back and that she took out all those scorpion things in no time at all. I don't know. It could have been a little bit more of resistance uh, maybe and a, a little bit more give and take in that fight like in wrestling you know you don't want to come see somebody come out and just pummel somebody uh, in a heavyweight championship match you want to see a little bit of story development back and forth and you, you say oh my god Daenerys is gonna die and then she doesn't and yeah I don't know you want to take the the viewers on an emotional roller coaster of the and it was just really everybody sitting there with their jaws open oh my god she's just burning every square mile of this whole place yeah (laughs) that's all for 40 minutes you know i guess it just comes down to what your perspective is because we spent the entire series thinking that the night king was the the biggest villain the most threatening villain at all and then he gets extinguished and we're like all right man it's been cersei all along cersei's the true villain of this series and bam just like that well now it's denarius and there's only one episode to go Speaking of, so we have now reached the end of the series, all right? Yeah. Now I'm going to ask you, when the credits roll next Sunday night at, what, about 10, 18 p.m., something like that, how do you think things will have played out? So I I want it to play out this way. I think it's going to play out very corny Disney. John's going to be sitting on the throne. Danny's going to die. And uh, Davos is going to be his hand. It's going to be a happy world. Sansa's going to be the warden of the north. Uh, all that fairy tale bullshit. That's how I think it's going to end. What I want to happen, and I just kind of thought about this today, is uh, Gendry Baratheon. I want him to sit on the throne. I think that would be a really cool loop uh, of the families. It started with Robert Baratheon. Uh, his bastard was Gendry. Nobody knew about him, but he was the king. He dies. Cersei takes over. It's a big deal. Baratheons are no longer in power. So Gendry is a uh, delegitimized bastard goes off does his own whole storyline really cool likable character comes back 
uh, Danny legitimizes him in Winterfell by making him a lord, giving him back his name. And that gives him rightful heir to the throne. And so I think it would be a really cool loop if somehow Danny's maybe Arya is the Kingslayer in this mold. And then uh, John doesn't want the king. He just wants to be the Warden of the North, a la Ed Stark. He wants nothing to do with his Targaryen blood after seeing what happened with Danny. He doesn't want to rule. And then Gandry is the Baratheon to come over. And we know under King Robert that it was years of peace uh, up until his death. It was years of peace and then his death kind of brought in all this chaos in Westeros. And I think that uh, Gendry Baratheon would maybe be a sign of, of peace to come in Westeros and then the credits roll. Uh, okay, well, here's mine. And let me tell you this too, all right? So I got an advantage over you because I still have another podcast to do for Friday. So I've reserved a right to change my mind between now right. and Friday. But as of right now, man, I got Arya trying to kill Daenerys. But in doing so, failing, all right, getting caught, and I think she's going to get herself killed. I think before this point, despite all the carnage, I think John's going to continue to try to work with Daenerys because he still sees something in her. And I think that Daenerys ultimately killing Arya is going to be the final straw. And that's going to be what makes John snap. And he's going to realize that he needs to kill Daenerys. And maybe he dies too. Maybe he kills, maybe they kill each other. Something like that happens. I'll tell you this, Vegas, by the way, Bovado, and I didn't know this, it says Bran is going to be on the throne. He's the betting favorite right now to be on the throne when this show's over, which I did not know. I don't know about that, but I'll tell you one thing I feel confident about, and she wasn't even in this last episode. Sansa's going to have a major, major yeah. role in the final episode, whether it's her on the throne, whether Daenerys maybe kills her, I don't know, but she is going to, she's not just going to be somebody she's not going to be a role player in this final yeah. episode she is going to be a major player in this final episode i don't know man it's kind of like sports you know you don't you don't know what's going to happen and that's what i love about this show and for all the critics out there who don't didn't like this last episode i don't think anyone really well maybe a very small percentage of people saw it coming but most people didn't not to that extent and not like that i feel like with this show you just really never know what's going to happen yeah, I think Sansa, outside of Gendry, I think Sansa is my favorite option to rule the uh, the seven the the realm. I think that she's a fantastic option, and they've been building up her storyline. She's done a really good job running the North. When Danny's army came, she was questioning Danny, and she was saying, "How are we going to feed all these people? We need to give our soldiers rest." She's been really calm, level headed, but then she still got this kind of perfect alchemy of Littlefinger, Cersei, her uh, time uh, in captivity, all these different experiences that she had, which she told the Hound about, you, you know, if you would have saved me, I would have still been that little bird. I think that if you really look into it and kind of try to connect the dots of the story, if they're good storytellers, that you could see all those dots along the way and saying they're really developing her as a person that is fit to be a ruler where I don't think John's fit for it. Obviously, Danny's not fit for it. Um, Tyrion, that's not really his. He's more of a behind the scenes. And I can see if Sansa gets it, Tyrion being her hand, you know, hand to the queen. So she's definitely fit for it. I think she should be in the running more. But I don't I don't get where the odds are coming in for Bran. I don't know Me that the, that's not the role of the three. I Raven is not to rule. Right. I, I agree. But he's the betting yeah, favorite in Bovada right so now. That's so weird to me, man. I don't. That's the first I've heard. I didn't even know Bovada was taking bets on this. That yeah. doesn't shock me. Um, I'm a little stunned right now that, that he's the leading favorite because Vegas is very rarely wrong. Right, yeah. All right, man. Well, we're going to see how it plays out. We'll catch up soon. We'll talk about it. Aaron Quinn, cover one. That's a lot, man. 
Hey, man, no problem. And uh, yeah, you can find my reactions on Aaron Quinn 716. So uh, next Sunday around 1020, you'll you'll see my reaction regardless. All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for this episode. Big thank you again, Joe DiBiase from WGR 550. I'll tell you what, man. Remember this podcast episode, let's just say five years from now, okay? Five years from now. I think that's a young dude, man. I I think he's going to be really good in the sports media game locally for years to come. I think he's on the rise. He does a real good job at WGR. Wears a lot of hats. He brings good value to that radio station. I think he's got a good future. And I also hope his podcast does well. Just not as good as this podcast. (laughs) Anyway, I'm joking. Thanks, Joe. Also, thanks to my man, Aaron Quinn from Cover One, recurring guest and a dude that I love, love doing these segments with. It's always fun. Guys, if you have not yet done so already, please go ahead and subscribe to this podcast. When you subscribe, new episodes automatically get sent directly to your phone, your computer, laptop, iPad, whatever it is that you use. Literally, as soon as they are released, within minutes It's going to be right on your device. That is always the benefit of being a subscriber. You're going to get the new episode before anyone else does. I usually have a new show every Tuesday and Friday. Don't forget to rate and review the show. I say it every week. It only takes a minute, but it really helps me grow this podcast tremendously. You can find this podcast anywhere. Future award-winning podcasts are found. By the way, you can also subscribe to our new YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube. Type in Moranalytics Podcast. Hit subscribe there. That's growing rather quickly. Uh, you click that little bell right next to it too, so you'll get notifications when new content's released. I'm not doing videos. Really don't care about videos, but I do put on highlight clips from current and past podcast episodes there, and I've been having some original audio content there. That's been doing really well. Last but not least, as I go through my list, I just, you know what? I like asking you to do stuff, man. It's just the way it is. Follow me on Twitter at Pamaran Tweets. Thanks again for listening. As always, I really, truly appreciate each and every single one of you. I'll be back with a new episode on Friday. We'll have plenty to talk about. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.